I'm here. Oh, I mean, I'm really here. <laughs> Judy and I were discussing this morning, or talking, uh, 46 years ago, about this date, it was early December, uh, was our first time we, we showed up at this place. And the amazing thing to me is, just show of hands, how many people were here 46 years ago? Look around. That says a lot for this assembly. These people have hung in there a lot of years, and there's a, several people who aren't here this morning who I know were here 46 years ago. Uh, when you teach God's Word, people stay around, I think. They, they want to hear God's Word. Um, 46 years, man, that's a long time ago. Uh, how many of you were, didn't even exist? No. <laughs> um, do you know how long ago it was when you started Matthew? 16 months ago, August 22nd, 2021, you started the book of Matthew. And here today, we reached the last five verses of the, the book of Matthew. So if you open your Bibles to, um, to chapter 28, we're going to look at verses 16 through 20. Verses that are extremely familiar. Uh, when you say the Great Commission, and anybody that's been around the church very long... Uh, almost any church, uh, these verses come to their mind. And uh, they can many times they can recite them, as I'm sure many of you can. Um, when you started the book of Matthew, uh, the theme was laid out. What is the theme of the book of Matthew? The theme of the book of Matthew is that Jesus is king. And uh, we finally, um, and Matthew establishes this through the genealogy and through the miracles and the teaching and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He teaches all, all that teaches the kingship of Jesus Christ. And now we reach the end of the book, and the king, our king, is giving us marching orders. He's telling us what to do with this new life that he's given us. Uh, so let's read these five verses. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." So let's get the setting for this, uh, this event. Um, the greatest event in the history of all mankind has just taken place. The death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior. And that, that, those events, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, have changed history. And they've changed the lives of many people in this room. And that's what these disciples have just gone through. But what have they been doing? And this is the amazing thing to me that Jesus still wants to meet with these guys. What have they done recently? Well, first of all, they all told him he was crazy when he told them that they were going to desert him. They said, oh, no, not us. No, you don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. Man, can you imagine defying? In a sense, they were defying the wisdom and knowledge of their, their Savior. Uh, but they had. Uh, and then... Right after they did that, in the same chapter, in chapter 26, a few verses later, Jesus asks them to stay awake and pray, you know, 
He's going aside and pray. He wants them to pray with him. What do they do? They all fall asleep. Man, talk about friends or not so friendly. And then when it came down to the crucifixion, what did the, those disciples do? Every single one of them deserted. Now, we give Peter a hard time uh, because his desertion, his betrayal, is a little more publicized. But the others all split, too. They were gone. They all deserted him. And just as bad as that, Luke tells us that when they heard about the resurrection from the women, they considered it idle tales. They thought, that couldn't have happened. So those are the guys that Jesus is going to work with. Those are the guys that he's going to give this commission to. He knew that when they saw the resurrected Savior, their lives were going to be changed. And just like for you and me, when we meet the resurrected Savior, our lives are changed. So they've fallen down, but they're going to get up big time, and they're going to do uh, exactly what Jesus tells them to do. Um, Remember who they got the message of the resurrection from? And I appreciate that Tim pointed that out, the importance of that. The, the women were the ones that, you know, got these guys going. And they are also the ones, if you look back in verse 10 of this chapter, they're also the ones that are going to give them the message not only of the resurrection, but where they're supposed to go to meet the Savior. Uh, they, they, Jesus tells them, tell them to meet me in Galilee in the place that we had arranged, because he had told them earlier in the book, we'll meet in Galilee. Um, So verse 16 says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now I wish when uh, the Hawkins uh, and us, who else was on that trip there? Just just the four of us with another with a group. When we went to when we went to Israel, I wish we could have gone to the spot where this took place, but it's not recorded what spot it took place, and I think that's for a reason. I think we as human beings have a tendency to make holy places and we say, oh, that's, that's where, this is where this took place, so therefore it must be good for something. I remember one of my biggest disappointments in uh, going to Israel, now that it's, it's Christmas time, was Bethlehem. It was the biggest commercial, phony, it was... I just didn't appreciate it at all, uh, visiting Bethlehem. You know, they had the spots where everything was supposed to have happened. It just did not show the humbleness of the birth of our Savior. And if I ever go back to Israel, which maybe someday we will, um, Bethlehem will be one place I skip. I I won't go back there. Um, So I think the same is true for this place. If, If we knew what mountain this was on, we'd somehow build a temple there, build something there, and we'd, we'd make it something special. And it wasn't, it's not the place that's special. It's what took place and what was said there. And notice the, the disciples' reaction when they meet Jesus there. It says in verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshipped. Now there were, were, there's one other place recorded in the book of Matthew where they worshipped him. And that was when the event where Peter walked on the water, remember the storm, and they saw Jesus coming, and so Peter says, I, you know, oh, I'm, I'm going to walk right out there with you. And God says, Jesus says to him, sure, come on out. And he goes out, and he goes, oh, I shouldn't be here, and he starts to sink. Um, but when, they, when Jesus 
gets into the boat, they, it says, they say, truly you are the Son of God, and they worshipped him. Now, what was their worship? Well, scriptures, I think, is pretty clear on what worship was. The very word itself means to bow down to the feet of someone. That's If you use that word in just common language in those days, that's what it meant. And we somehow, and I, nothing against Christian music, but we somehow have turned worship into music. I think it can be part of it, without a doubt. But worship is a humbling of yourself before a holy God. That's what worship is. That's what true worship is. And these guys, I think in this scene, bowed at the feet of Jesus and worshipped him. They saw a resurrected Savior, and now they see him totally different than they did a week earlier. They see him as a Savior and deserving of true worship. But isn't it interesting it says there, some doubted. I heard, I listened to one guy, he said, well, that wasn't any of the 11. But the Bible tells us that it's just the 11 there. It says, the worship, you know, they, in verse 16, it was the, the 11, uh, minus Judas, of course, and this is before Matthias had been selected to replace Judas. Uh, the 11 were there. This was a special meeting between Jesus and the 11 disciples. I'd like to know who doubted. But I don't think it was a doubt like, eh, just, uh, I don't believe this is really Jesus. I, I think it was a more like a doubt like you and I might say if the Seahawks were to win the Super Bowl. I can't believe this is really happening. Um, it was that kind of doubt, I think. Now, I can't prove that, uh, but I, when I see how these men acted in the next, the rest of their lives, it was, certainly wasn't a doubt that they doubted that this was Jesus, this was the resurrected Savior. It was more of an amazement kind of doubt, I think. And then we see um, the first of four alls we're going to see in, in this passage. And that's in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, Jesus has demonstrated in his life on earth that he had all authority. He had authority over nature. He had authority over death. When he raised Lazarus, he had authority over illness. And he had already demonstrated this authority. But Romans tells us in Romans 1, 4, he was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of the holiness by what? By the resurrection from the dead. That's when he it was in a sense of the official stamp that this is the Savior of the world, this is the Son of God, his resurrection, and therefore, because of his position as God, he has all authority. Now, what does that mean to you? When you think about Jesus having all authority, well, I, I, the list is really long of things that that could mean to us. I just picked out four that were important to me, that, were special to me. First of all, he, he has the authority to forgive sins. Ephesians 1, 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Isn't that amazing that our sins can be forgiven because Jesus has the authority to do that. Through his shed blood, he has the authority to forgive us our sins. Not just some of our sins, but all of our sins. And our 
like to say, you know, once we recognize that, we don't sin anymore. But we know we do. We know we continue to sin. Now, I'm a firm believer that you and I are not sinners. Our nature, basic nature, is not that of a sinner. It shouldn't be. If your your basic nature is still that of a sinner, then you're not a believer. But if you're a believer, your basic nature, your your nature is not that of a sinner, but we sin. It's sort of like, I'm not a plumber, but sometimes I do plumbing. I'm not an electrician, but sometimes I try to kill myself and do electric, electrical work. Um, this that's a, that's the kind of sin that our ongoing sin is because we give in to what we used to do and God still forgives us still forgives us and that's what's truly amazing to me no matter how long I live no matter how many sins I commit in the rest of my life God will forgive me and 1 John 1 9 reminds us of that if we confess our sins okay so second thing that I really appreciated God having or Jesus having the authority to do is he gives us true freedom you know we think sometimes that the government gives us our freedom but our true freedom is found in the person of Jesus so John 8:36. so if the son sets you free you will be free indeed do you feel free sometimes I do sometimes I don't but in eternally I feel free without a doubt Another thing that I appreciate in the authority and power of Jesus is that he has the power and the authority to keep us secure in him. John 10, 28 and 29, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Do you feel secure this morning because Jesus has the authority to keep you secure? That's a, that's a real blessing to me and I hope it is to you. And one that has meant a lot to me in the last couple years, and my whole outlook on political stuff, I guess you could say, is that Jesus has the authority to establish and remove governments. Romans 13.1, For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. You know, I used to probably consider, first and foremost, consider myself an American but I don't consider myself an American anymore. I live in America, but I do not feel that the America that exists today is one that I want to be part of. Now, I'm not going to migrate somewhere else. I think it's still the best country in the world to live in, And but um, my position as American is no longer important to me. And why? Because I can trust that the God, the government, that whether it's the same today or tomorrow, or a year from now, whatever government is there is only there because Jesus has given them the authority to exist. If they do stuff I don't like, wait, God gave them the authority to do that. I don't understand why. I don't understand a lot of the decisions that have been made in the last few days. Uh, But it's not a big concern of mine anymore. Now, do I still vote? Yes. Do I still participate when, you know, in... In things that are sort of political, yeah, not near as much as my son-in-law, who's big in the Move Idaho border movement. Uh, but I hope someday I'm living in Idaho without moving out of my house. But um, uh, but the government is no longer as important to me as it used to be. 
uh, because I trust in the authority and power of a risen Savior. And what the government does really eternally has nothing to do with me. Okay. So, what does he tell these disciples to do? After they've worshipped him, they've got it. He's told them, I've all get, got all authority. When somebody stands up and they, got, say, they say, I've got all authority, you're probably going to listen to what they have to say. And this is what he says to them. Go, therefore, because I have authority, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded commanded you. <clears throat> Excuse me. The main command here is not go. The main command is make disciples. The go, the baptizing, and the teaching are basically the where and how of the making of disciples. So let's take a look at the, the imperative here, the making dis- make disciples. What is a disciple? And then we'll talk about how do you make them. Well, Jesus lays out very clearly what a disciple is. John 8, 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you truly are my disciples. So one of the signs of a disciple is that they abide in the word. What does that mean, to abide in the word? That means my everyday life is lived in the boundaries that the Bible establishes for me. I use God's word to help me make decisions. Decisions about job, decisions about family, raising family. Every decision I make in my life should be made on the basis of what's found in God's word. So, principle number one for what is a disciple? You abide in God's word. Then John um, uh, 13.35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Do you love the fellowship of believers? Tell you what I do. You guys are special to me. Forty-six. I wasn't going to cry, <laughs> but you know I would. Forty-six years I've had fellowship with this t- group. Not always here, but I've always felt that this is my church family, and it still is. Uh, I have a love for you, and I have a love for other believers also. Do you have a love for believers? Is Getting up and going to fellowship, whether it's Sunday morning, Bible study, Wednesday night, whatever it is, you, do you have a love for meeting with the believers, the fellow, your fellow believers? If you, if that's true of you, then you qualify to be a disciple. Thirdly, by this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to what to be my disciples. Do you have love? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. Do you demonstrate those fruits? Now, I wish I could go through that list and go, yep, that's me, yep, 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 yep. But I've got a couple in there. I go, "Uh, not so much, not so much, especially when it deals with kids. Um, And by the way, for those of you who have kids, if you think it's tough parenting kids that say, two to 18 and I'm sure lots of people my age will tell you this too it's much harder to parent adult children uh, because you can't say anything and you'd like to but uh, 
But, you know, those are the fruits that we should demonstrate. Now, yes, there's also the idea of fruits bringing new believers, uh, uh, winning people. We don't win people. We introduce them to a Savior. Um, That is definitely also fruits. But we can't forget love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we demonstrate those things, we are giving proof that we are disciples. So that's what Jesus is asking us to do. Now, how do we do this? Well, first of all, we have to go. But actually, the Greek word there doesn't really mean go, like a command. It's more of the sense of wherever you go. Uh, In fact, uh, a version of the Bible, the translation of the Bible that uh, Dave Nelson introduced me to maybe 15, 20 years ago, God's Word Translation, they translate it, that word there, wherever you go, make disciples. So that means when you're, I have to say you're a mother, you're in the kitchen, and your children are there with you, you're making disciples. If you're a dad, and you're out working in the car, and the kid is there with you, you are making a disciple. You are teaching them the biblical way of work, the biblical way of, you know, studying your God's Word, all those things we do, wherever we go, we should be making disciples, whether it's at home, whether it's at work, wherever it is. Now, we like to think this means missionaries, you know, you go. But no, this is more a sense wherever you, wherever you are, make disciples. Um, and then the, the second all, the first all in this passage was the authority. Second all is where you're supposed to go. All nations. The word there is actually ethnos, which means ethnic groups. Uh, and I looked up on how many ethnic groups are there in the, in the world. And it ranged all the way from 5,000 to 70,000. But, the, you know, seemed to be the most common was right around 20,000 ethnic groups uh, that could be de- identified on the earth. 20,000 groups that need to hear God's love presented to them and that's where we're to go now the nice thing about one of the good things about the internet is now we can get God's word to any almost anybody have you seen the pictures of the uh, the guys the, oh, I forget they're the Hutus or some somewhere in Africa they're standing out in the field with a, their spear in one hand and a cell phone in the other <laughs> you know the, God's word can go anywhere and it is going anywhere. And we can be thankful for that, that it is reaching all ethno, ethnos or all ethnic groups. Now, the, I can tell that the disciples knew exactly what Jesus meant here. Is take, don't be afraid to go anywhere. Because let me just, according to tradition, um, here's where a few of them went. Uh, Andrew. He went up into Russia, Romania, and present-day Ukraine. Uh, James went as far as Spain. Peter went to Rome. Uh, Simon the Zealot is credited with going to Egypt. Uh, Philip to Greece and Syria. Bartholomew was to Ethiopia, Iran, and Turkey. Uh, Jude, or some, who sometimes called Thaddeus, went all the way across North Africa. Uh, Thomas is... Uh, He's has gone to India. In fact, did you know that the name Thomas as a first name 
is one of the most popular in, uh, names in southern India uh, because we think anyway because Thomas went as far as India and Matthew the writer of this book uh, is said to have gone to Ethiopia and Samaria uh, so they definitely took this commission and acted on it now these are the same guys remember that a week earlier or had just deserted Jesus and were hiding and all if you, if you want to read uh, about their lives how they died none of them only John died of natural causes the others all died in various and sundry horrific ways because of they were doing what God wanted them to do so what does he say when you make disciples what do you have to do you have to baptize them now I think we I'll speak for myself I have de-emphasized baptism and I want to say first and foremost baptism does not save and will not save you but I will say this if you are saved you have been baptized if you are a Christian you have been baptized that's obedience and you cannot be a believer and not demonstrate obedience and I think uh, I would if I was running everything which thank heavens I'm not um, when a person came if, if a person came and said they've accepted Jesus as their savior the water is warm <clears throat> there's, there's a baptistry up here how many of you most of you the water would be warm up here if they came on Friday and said we would baptize them on Sunday we would do it that quickly because that's the way it was done in the New Testament <clears throat> you don't see any believer converted in the New Testament and the baptism didn't take place right then and that's I think that's the way it should should be now what what's really then if it doesn't have anything to do with salvation what's the purpose of baptism well first of all it's obedience but uh, Romans 6 verses 4 and 5 kind of shows us the meaning of it and therefore the reason for it we are buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was risen from the dead by the glory of the father we too might walk in newness of life for if we have been united with him in death like his we shall certainly be united with him in resurrection like his. So the whole visual of baptism is you are taken, you are placed under the water. If we leave you there very long, you're going to be dead. We don't want that. But we demonstrate death. And as we bring you up, we resurrect you just as Jesus was resurrected from the dead. It's our way of identifying with Jesus. That's why I think we should do it as quickly as possible so that person has a, an event in their life, a physical event in their life that they can say, I have been identified with Christ and I belong to him. Physical events help us remember things. And that's, and that, so we identify with him in baptism. We demonstrate obedience with him, of, obedience of him, and we also give a public testimony that we are identifying with Christ. And I think all of those are important. Okay, the third all in this passage is verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That is probably one of the, if you go far enough back in assembly tradition, that may be a verse that they use to say, How are, what are we going to do on Sunday mornings? 
What are we going to do when we meet together? We are going to teach through the Bible verse by verse. We are going to teach all that he has taught, taught he commanded them. We, we don't want to skip parts. I mean, it would be easy to do Sunday morning services if we just got, okay, you're going to speak next week or a month from now, whatever, you know, eh, whatever. Do whatever you want. Uh, it would be easy to pick passages and just do the easy ones. But we don't do that here. We, we teach through God's Word every, verse by verse, and it's, you know, I think, in obedience to this, teaching them all that I have commanded you. Uh, then we see the fourth and final all in this passage. And behold, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. When's the end of the age? Did the sun come up this morning? We're not at the end of the age. As long as the sun's coming up, we're at the end of the age. And God is always with us. Does that make you feel a little more confident when you go through your day that God is with you? I am always with you. It should affect our daily life. It should affect the way we live. One, one way it affects the way we live, it gives us confidence. It gives us confidence that I am walking with God. But it also, maybe that's not a flip side of the coin, but it also should make us a little more aware of how we live. Is God is with me. Therefore, I don't do some things. I avoid certain places. I avoid certain friendships. I am careful in how I walk. So God has given us a commission, and that is to make disciples. Now, I want you to grab your bulletin. Grab your bulletin. I thought I had mine up here. And I want you to, yeah, take a look. How is Titan Drive doing at making disciples? Well, here's my, I took the bulletin. You probably can't see it, but I have circled the things that I think are discipleship making disciple making activities I consider the breaking of bread I'm a disciple because making activity because it reminds us how important Jesus is to us adult Sunday school classes is that disciple making of course it is we're studying God's word children's classes in Sunday school is that discipleship making you bet it is family Bible hour of course then Tuesday, you've got two ladies' Bible studies. You can't make it in the morning, make it in the evening. Disciple-making. Uh, Wednesday, you got action in junior high group. Those are disciple-making activities. Start with them at young ages and teach them. Um, you got Thursday morning men's Bible study. Jim was bragging a little bit about this morning, but I, I, I ignored that. Um, <laughs> It's not men on Thursday morning. There's women on Thursday morning too. All together. No, (laughs) no. um, That's disciple making. Friday, high school group. Okay, Tide and Drive's doing a pretty good job of discipling. Now, could we do better? Of course, we can always do better. We can always do better. I'd like to see this baptism baptismal used every Sunday. Um, and but and God will bring in those who He wants to bring in. But don't beat yourself up. Oh, we're not doing the Great Commission. I think you are, and I think you're doing a pretty good job of it. Let's close in prayer.
Lord, I, have to, I thank you that you've laid out very clearly for us what we should be doing. The King has given us orders. And as we march forward in our lives, and as individually and as an assembly, I just pray that we will continue to remember that we have one role, and that is to make disciples. And just pray that you would encourage each and every one of us to remember that. And I just thank you again for this assembly. Amen.